good morning, America. Here we are again. We are at the Daily Answer. When I was a child, the presents arrived on my birthday, then Christmas, and that's it. That was that was it for the year. For the rest of the year, you had to take those presents and make them work. You had to make them do when it came to entertaining yourself. I had a little HO train layout in the garage in which HO trains matchbox cars, World War II army men, and military models, I believe in all 172nd scale, all lived in the same world. And often the, the theme was, you know, here I had a little town and some invading army was going to come up and try to invade the town at night. That, that was pretty much the theme of that playset. In playing with my grandkids, one of my favorite combination of toys to use would be like a castle and then cowboys, particularly the U.S. Cavalry, and Indians against dinosaurs. Yeah, where the Indians and the cowboys go into some remote valley and find find the dinosaurs. And to do that right, when you play the game, you must have the right tune. You have to right, have the right music. And to me, the right tune for the U.S. Cavalry is the song Gary Owen, which you hum because I guess it's an Irish drinking song, so you don't sing it, but I hum it. And then you have to have a song for when the Indians come in and a song for the dinosaurs. And the best dinosaur music I've ever heard, and I'm not sure if it's still there. Last time I was to Disneyland in LA was 1989. And you could take the train around the park. And at one point, the train went through like an area that kind of described the formation of the earth and the dinosaurs. And it was kind of like bomb, 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 bomb. I always thought that was pretty good dinosaur music. Now, the other place that I found great dinosaur music or what I consider to be great dinosaur music is um, many of you are familiar probably with 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, but Jules Verne also wrote other things in Mysterious Island. And Mysterious Island, I don't think was as well known, but maybe you can get yourself an old copy of it. it it's, a, it's a story of POWs that were in a Civil War camp prisoner camp, maybe Andersonville, that get into a weather balloon and take off and then a storm comes and they're blown way out over the ocean to some mysterious island where like the animals are really big and they encounter Captain Nemo. That's where he's at with the Nautilus. And I don't know, to me, that movie has some pretty good dinosaur music in it. Yet where I grew up, Oregon, I want to talk a little bit about the seasons and the treasures of those seasons when I was a kid. And we want to start with fall. And one of the things that, and first of all, I never liked fall. And I think the reason for it is because fall, well, it's getting colder, summer's over, but mainly you're back in school. And I was having such great adventures and my home life was good that I, I didn't I, I didn't I didn't need anyone to organize my time. And the food wasn't as good and I don't know, I just 
I really today cringe about what I would consider what what is it an institutional an institutional sort of um, atmosphere and so now I've tried to remind myself that I don't have to go to school anymore and it's been a long time since I went to school but still fall man fall sometimes kind of a struggle because it's the end of summer and it's the beginning of school but I've tried to appreciate the treasures about fall and when I was a kid, the treasures that would show up would be number one, acorns from all the oak trees in the neighborhood. And that would give us plenty of ammunition in our neighborhood battles. And not only that, but you could find some pool, pretty, pretty big and cool acorns. On my way to school in the fall, there happened to be a number of horse chestnut trees as you would walk down and back from school. And I was told, you don't eat those. And they would have this kind of green prickly cover that would like crack and open up and inside would be this deep brown I mean really beautiful I mean they look like polished rocks these horse chestnuts and I know I would often stuff a number of these in my pockets on my way home as my treasures in either fall or spring especially after a night of heavy rain or wind as you walked around the neighborhood, there would be little black and orange caterpillars at times, and we called them fuzzy wuzzies, but it seems like they would all appear about the same time. Now, I'm not sure it could be they were doing a lot of destruction in the oak trees, um, but um, I just remember them as a kid. Not as many, though, as I got older. Fall also brought puffballs or oak balls from the oak trees. There would be these growths on the branches of oak trees kind of like a little white ball and one would be very hard and one would be would almost have like a uh, a wish in it from like a dandelion you know and um the neighbors said that ooh, ooh stay away from those because they would give you cancer well i think the neighbors thought about everything gave you cancer and then summer for a boy who was always hungry summer brought free snacks and what I mean by that is our neighbors had a gooseberry bush and oh boy, the gooseberries were really sour. But if you were in a pinch, if you needed a hunger fix, well, you know, a couple of those would do you for a while. Another neighbor right next to the yard in which we often played our football games would have raspberries and we would go over there and, you know, get a handful of raspberries. And then along the edges of the woods would be a, a lot of just blackberries and another neighbor had figs but and had quite a few figs but nobody everybody all the kids seemed to leave the figs alone they were really sticky and they were not they just seemed like they were not enjoyable to eat more, more trouble than they were worth and here and there here and there there was an apple tree or in the woods, in the woods, there were like wild cherries or like almost like a pie cherry, incredibly sour. But hey, if you needed that, there also were some wild filberts or hazelnuts. And I'm told that the hazelnut tree um, is always trying to revert back to a bush. That really, that's what it wants to be. It doesn't want to be a tree. It wants to be a bush. And I loved to eat these when they were 
not ripe. They were a little green and they were chewy and they were nutty. But you had to get to them before the squirrels got to them. For years in front of our house, there was a large vacant field. I mean, I don't know if there were like 50 acres. I mean, it was. And eventually it was all built up and to the now it's all subdivisions and things like that. But when we were first there in the neighborhood, and I think my dad had played baseball or softball there when he was like in high school years before. So there was this big vacant field out there. And of course, in the summer, early on, like June, oh, the grass would grow like high, like waist high for a child or over waist high for a child. And so what we would do is that we would build tunnels in the grass and you could be down there and cars would drive by and no one could see you. And that, that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool to be somewhere where you could kind of see the cars with the adults in them come by, but they couldn't see you. Then maybe August, the grass would be baled and then it would stubble would be left. And then the grasshopper sh would show up and the big ones we called locusts. And some of them would have like orange on their wings and you could see the orange as they flew. But the bigger ones seemed to have a lower sound and you could tell when they were around, they, they sound like a B-52 taken off. And if you captured one and held it, it would typically leave some brown juice in the palm of your hand. And I think one of the neighbor boys would always say, well, that was tobacco juice. Summer was also the time to wade the local river, Silver Creek. And from where I lived, you could go over the hill. There were a number of trails that went down to the city park and then to the river. And um, and there were sections where you could walk the river. Um, but there was an edge of the river that was deeper. And it seems like it was the eastern edge was the deeper section of the river. And as we would walk the river, of course, we would find minnows and crawdads, um, a little fish called a bullhead. And then there was this rumor, maybe a tadpole too. There was this rumor that um, in the deep parts, you know, that in the deep parts of the river, there was something out there that would latch onto you and suck your blood. <laughs> you know, or, or some of the kids would talk about leeches and, and things like that. So um, there was always there was always mysteries in the world in which you live that you had not explored everything and what was still out there. During at least a couple of summers, and maybe it was just one, it's hard to remember that on childhood, you know. Sometimes you did something once and you have this idea that you did it every year, but it only happened once, one summer. Large Japanese beetles, which look like little tanks with large pinchers on the head, would show up suddenly. I'm not sure if a wind would bring them in or whatever, but you would just find them on the street, maybe lying on their back or something, or a car had run over one. But they would just kind of like show up. And then they would be gone. In the spring, 
after a heavy rain, you would often find huge earthworms. I mean, that might stretch out to like almost 10 inches moving across the street. And if you were lucky, you would find a water dog or a salamander. And you might discover that near the curb or out in one of the hiking trails in the forest or maybe along a curb where the water would drain and there would be, you know, kind of like kind of some dirt or debris from the street and leaves. You know, if you dug into there, you would find your salamander or your worms. And then the, in the spring, the tall ferns in the woods would start to grow, the real tall ones. And, you know, we would typically pull them up and make spears out of them, get a wagon load of spears. And that would be like in Western Oregon and Central Oregon. Central Oregon had its own treasures. And such as in July, there would be bullfrog tadpoles, huge tadpoles into the Chutes River, like the size of your fist sort of tadpoles and l large crawdads, big ones. And a bird that always fascinated me that, you know, for hours I would get my pellet gun and seek to track one and stalk one. Uh, a beautiful bird called a magpie, but a real pest at the same time. And all of just re this reminded me that this is, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Psalm 24, verse 1, that this planet is an amazing planet. And not only that, but not all treasures come from the store. There are a lot of treasures out there that were free as a kid. Uh, the blackberries in the forest, the forts that we would build, etc. that was just free. Didn't cost us anything. Um, the simple pleasures, the simple pleasures. And sometimes it's dangerous to want to um, take a kid and just set that kid down in front of the TV or here, here, here here's a video game to watch or whatever. And you're really stunting their imagination if you do that. Nothing, nothing like just, okay, there's the backyard. There's no electronics out there. But there's two cardboard boxes, some string and duct tape and whatever, maybe a pair of scissors or a knife, and maybe a ladder. And initially, the kids might grumble, sit around or whatever but it won't be long before their imaginations fire up and all of a sudden they're out building and working together on some amazing project. That's going to be an amazing story. Yeah. It's a real blessing sometime not to have your electronics with you because then sometimes you can see more clearly the real treasures and the treasures of the season and every season brings them. This is Mark Dunnigan for The Daily Answer. Until next time, see you in those funny papers.